Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. It focuses on people. It focuses on human connection. That's uh, we're not focusing on technology. We're focusing on how do you communicate, collaborate with each other, connect with each other, listen to each other, engage with each other. How do you slow the brain down to be focused and present in the moment at a high level? How do you access your own brain to perform at the top of your intelligence to be adaptable? to be agile, to be flexible, and how do you bring other people with you in that process and or level status so that you're part of the team, even though if you're the leader, somebody else is leading and, and you can let somebody else lead. So it's a, a fabulous tool, set of tools and techniques for this type of global collaboration and connection. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. Now, if you haven't yet listened to my recent conversations with Lisa Johnson, Freedom and Success Coach, and with Brian McMahon of Expert Dojo, then only after you've listened to today's episode, of course, go and check them out. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest today, Bob Kulhan. He's Adjunct Professor of Business Administration for the Fuqua School of Business, Duke University, as well as an Adjunct Professor of Business for the Columbia Business School. He also is the founder and CEO of Business Improv, a 21-year-old consultancy that links improv to business through the behavioral sciences and real-world application. Business Improv is a world-class leader in developing experiential, on-site, virtual, online programs, as well as hybrid and open enrollment courses for businesses and for leaders. Improvisational communication is designed to take you from constantly struggling with your blocks and barriers to communication to a place where you can thrive as a confident and competent communicator. And it's applicable virtually as it is to on-site and in-person. Now, Bob has very generously offered an exclusive code for listeners of this podcast to Business Improv's Improvisational Communication, a first-of-its-kind online course designed using research backed by science and more than 20 years of his experience. This course is regularly priced at $249, and by using the code YESAND, all caps, you'll be able to purchase that for just $99. Now, in our discussion today, Bob talked to me about how we can use improv for collaboration, for communication, and for adapting to change. He explained how to break down organizational silos using improv principles 
And we talked about how to adjust your communication and facilitation style when transitioning from live events to online events. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Bob Coolhan. Hi, I'm your host Jürgen Strauss from Innova Biz and I'm really excited to welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast today from New York in the USA, Bob Kulhan, who's an elite improviser and adjunct professor at both Duke University and Columbia University Business Schools. He's the founder and CEO of Business Improv and he's the author of Getting to Yes And. So welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Bob. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Uh, Jürgen, it's great to chat with you. It's my privilege, and I look forward to this conversation. Me too. Now, Jason Van Orden, who was our guest on episode 275 of the Innova Buzz, pod, Innova Buzz podcast, I need to say it, <laughs> suggested that we have a conversation with you and introduce us. So big hello to Jason. Yeah, Jason's awesome. If anybody doesn't know who he is, Look him up. He's a smart guy and an innovator. So he's right up mm, there. Right. Yeah. Now, you've you've done a lot of things in your life. You've kind of gone through a lot of business experiences. So and and marketing is one of your strengths, and and you have a passion for improv. So how did you end up connecting those things together? Connecting business and marketing and a passion for improv. Uh, that's a great question. All right. So I'll, I'll leapfrog through a few things. In high school, instead of having a real talent in the talent shows, I just asked to fill up the stage between the real acts as they were clearing off the drums and <laughs> the cheerleaders were coming out and it was just blank stage. And so I learned after high school that what I was doing it just organically in the late 80s is called improv. So I took some summer intensive classes and then I got my undergrad degree in business with that emphasis on marketing, which I always joke that appropriately enough, I got a BS in business. So that actually uh, great opportunities in college and university as well as right after university to exercise my talents in marketing and won a creative uh, guerrilla marketing award for creative marketing for Bank of America. So it was a nice award for the city of Chicago. And at about the time I was winning all that type of stuff and getting headhunted to move into either publicity or advertising, I left business completely and started immersing myself in improvisation. And that was around 94 and cut to about five years later, I was dead broke. <laughs> <laughs> Went through almost all my savings, and uh, the one investment that I made was a condo directly east of Wrigley Field, and where the Cubs play in Chicago, and was in you know jeopardizing losing that losing that, and that's when I had the opportunity in 1999 to focus on creating the first improv program in any business school in the whole world that focused solely on linking improv to business, and that's where I found my sweet spot. So starting in fall of 1999 to here we are today, 21 years later. Um, it's been a great love and passion of mine. Still allows me to get up on stage and perform. So I've been performing for 26 years, business improv for 21, and that's how we got here today. Great. So, what do you love most about improv? Oh, it's it, in the moment. Here, here's what I love. One of the things I love most. And, oh, it's hard. One, one thing. I love the fact that it's an ensemble type of piece. So it's very at its core. Improvisation is all about communication and collaboration. 
So you need other people to do this and you need to really listen to each other and talk to each other to do this. And even solo improvisers use the audience as their team. So it's that opportunity to work in a group. It also, improvisation takes place in the moment. That's where it lives. It doesn't live in the past in a story and it doesn't live in the future. It lives in that moment. And so you have one opportunity to be in that moment with other people. And once you're done with that moment, it's gone. So mm. if you didn't celebrate that moment, if you weren't fully present with other people celebrating that moment and fully present, then you missed it. And if you did, then you have that opportunity. And I think this is romantic, actually, that to just really be there. And then there's no way to replicate it. There's no way to reproduce it. I mean, you could do all of the stuff needed to have other great scenes and be in the moment at more great times. However, that one single scene, song, um, poem, whatever it is that was created in that moment now just disappears. And so you have the opportunity to continue to create going forward. And then there's other great things I love about improv. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's three things you said there that I thought, uh, you know, they're, they're really keys and they resonated with me particularly, I guess, because I'm all about making marketing more human. And so you talked about communication, collaboration, and being in the moment, which, you know, to me, being in the moment is one of the core things about really listening to somebody else and being really present so how um we talked earlier um, before we started recording about some of the things going on in the world today like um, the pandemic and people's different mindsets around lockdowns or um, staying at home and also about uh, the u.s election which as we record this uh, it was yesterday and we're kind of not sure as to the outcome yet, although some people are pretty convinced what it should be. Uh, how do you see the role? Very, very light things. <laughs> yeah. How do you see the role of improv in, you know, big issues like that, that we're all dealing with right across the world in various forms as human beings? How do you see the role of improv there in coming together, in um, finding common ground and in solving problems that are associated with those things improvisation the way that we define it in business improv which is different than how it's defined theatrically or comedically so this is unique to us the way that we define improv in business improv are on three core or is on three core competencies reacting adapting and communicating reacting adapting communicating so reacting is focus and concentration and presence in real time at a very high level it's also ongoing it's not a reaction. That's more impulsive and takes place one time. Reacting is ongoing. Adapting is if it's if you're reacting within parameters or trying to achieve a specific outcome, you're reacting and adapting. And then the subroute to both of these is communicating. As we're not in space or a vacuum, there's always someone with whom we can react and adapt or something in our environment to which we're forced to react and adapt. And so now we're bridging over to what's happening today across the board. You know, the question really isn't who needs to react, adapt, communicate, i.e. improvise. That's the answer. We all need to do this. And so it's applicable in the way that we handle situations. It's uh, the stress behavior. It's the way stressful situations, crisis. It's applicable to marketing and innovation. It's applicable to collaboration, of course, communication. And the way that we will get through this together, in my very humble opinion, is by working together. It is by 
talking with each other, finding best practices, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work so others don't have to recreate a wheel and replicate mistakes that <laughs> I'll go first, first country person anyway, you know, America <laughs> seems to be leading the pack in mistakes at any given time. And so if there's a way that we can actually share this with each other and communicate with each other, then, and communicate the, the pluses as well as the minuses very openly and honestly with each other, then we increase the probability of us getting through this together faster, as opposed to a longer, slower process as individuals. Hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot to love there. And I, the idea of adaptability is something that I'm taking more and more on board and thinking, you know, in fact, I was having a conversation yesterday and, and the person said that uh, Darwin's theory of evolution didn't say survival of the strongest. It actually said that survival of the species that is most adaptable to a changing environment. So mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, that that's a real key for me. And I think adaptability is something that we can learn and certainly improv like you have to adapt, right? Oh, absolutely. At any given time on an improv stage, for example, the unknown is ever present and the unexpected is going to happen. And if you are not playing in that moment at the top of your intelligence to the best of your ability, then you are going to miss that, that unexpected opportunity that's presented in front of you. And that's really for, for where I sit challenges. Inside challenges, there's also opportunities. And part of this is perspective. And that's not to say, one, that what's happening right now is not just crazy hard. It is. Without question, it's crazy hard. However, inside of this, there has to be that perspective of looking for potential and possibility and what happens next. And where does where does natural evolution meet um, how we're working together and human evolution of thought, of of perspective, of education and knowledge? And so for me, that that ad adaptability part of this has to be where we focus on. Yeah, this is what's happened in front of us. This is where the parameters in which we're forced to communicate, collaborate, et cetera. Okay, so how do we survive inside of this? And then how do we not only survive, persevere, i.e. persevere, I mean, then how do you ultimately thrive and move forward together? Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things you talk about in the book, Getting to Yes And, is about corporate silos in companies. And that resonated with me in particular because that's something I lived through quite a bit. You know, I was in in roles where said, oh, the, the research guys, they, they're sort of stuck in their ivory tower and they don't know what they're doing and they don't know what the real world is like. And the marketing guys would say, oh, the sales guys never let us talk to the customers or the, the research guys are not, look, not taking on board the data we're providing and doing the things that we ask them. And the sales guys would be saying, all oh, those marketing guys don't know what they're talking about and so on. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about this whole concept of corporate silos and how improv can help us break break those down and and get some cross silo communication if you like to call it that absolutely and you know you gave gave great examples of silos that exist in many organizations and then the larger the organizations are the stronger those silos actually are 
And so we in business improv have actually helped with mergers and acquisitions as companies are looking to blend different cultures and break these silos. And I think your sales and marketing piece is a great one to focus on because those two go hand in hand with you. You need to work together to really optimize sales and you need to understand what sales is bringing to the table on a marketing perspective. The reverse, you need to, uh, the, the salespeople need to understand how the marketing is taking place in really order to, to move forward together. So improvisation as, as it breaks, so, the silos will exist, and with those silos come two things. One, the stereotypes that you just mentioned, that we paint people in corners. And two, there's a biases that naturally we all have. We all have biases, right? I mean, that's what makes us unique. This isn't necessarily bad. It becomes dangerous, though, when we don't recognize those biases and do something about them as it relates to breaking these silos down. So when we work on busting silos, what we really focus on is structure. What is leadership doing? How are they putting that in place? What's the language? What, it, what are the laws, the, the rules of engagement that exist, that need to exist between both of them? And then how are they ultimately being enforced? You have to have those accountability practices in place because when you're ch making behavior change on an individual basis, let alone company basis, and now we're focusing on breaking silos, you have to understand that there's a growth curve, right? The change just doesn't happen overnight. It's mm. not a blink of the eye, I dream a genie style and poof, <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've changed. It doesn't work that way at all. So there has to be guiding principles and there has to be room for error because we will slip, we'll fall back on old behaviors that we don't even know that we have. So we move from unconscious incompetence to unconscious competence, you know, those four steps of one, mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm not doing right to two, oh, I understand I'm not doing this right, right now. So I should probably start changing. Now I'm really focusing on changing. I'm focusing on doing this right. And finally that becomes habit. And I'm like, I don't even think about this anymore. And I'm doing this thing the way that everybody wants me to. And that growth curve needs to take place. And we have to create room for those errors. At the same time though, if those errors continue, there is a lack of leadership that's there. And so there has to be that structure in place when busting these silos. So with improvisation, when you take these rules, these, this language of yes and in particular to communicate, collaborate, it's a great way also to manage conflict. So when you have these different groups not talking with each other, you can use this great two-word phrase, yes and, to slow the brain down, to be present, to truly listen to what somebody else is saying and Give your perspective as well. So the and isn't building on it necessarily as much as an enlightenment of perspective from one side to the other side. And then what we'll find is that common ground. And in that common ground, there is no silos. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I, back in my corporate day, I wish I had have known more about this whole concept because I was involved in a number of projects where we looked at um, driving some processes of innovation through our company. And what we did was had uh, process managers that worked across all the functions. And so that was the the environment and the structure, if you like, of breaking down the silos or working across the silos. So somebody had authority across all of the functions, mm -hmm. across function in a particular process. And uh, it it um, you know it it did solve a lot of problems because of the change in structure, but there was still this 
inherent conflict between the silos that uh, I think improv would have probably helped helped to break down a lot more. <laughs> it's a, it is a really great technique for just opening up dialogue. And once mm. you do that, you know that there is a level of tension that starts to get released just because there's that opportunity to either vent or hear somebody else vent, you know, get somebody else's perspective of what's going on and really create that collaborative joint problem solving methodology to move forward. And it's, it's rooted inherently in a lot of those great business improv techniques. Hmm. One of the other things I've been listening to recently is the, well, actually it's a whole bunch of different books and, and courses that I'm looking at, but it's from the perspective of facilitating uh, workshops and particularly facilitating online workshops. Now, I know you've been doing lots of online work for quite some time. I think back in 2017 was your first online improv workshop. Uh, from a from the point of view of actually facilitating, whether it's online or in person, how does improv help us do a better job of that? My mentor created the training center for what, at least in America, and I believe this still to be globally recognized as the mothership of improv and sketch comedy, yeah. this great place called The Second City. And this man was Martin DeMont. Martin DeMont was um, this just tremendous individual. And he instilled in me uh, this belief that your class will always teach you how to teach them. And that's a big part of, of what we do in business improv. Outward focus. Focus on engaging. Focus on listening. Focus on understanding what they're saying to you. And that on its own as a base. If you go into every class thinking, I'm going to learn from my class. My class is going to teach me how to teach them. And by class, it could be group, it could be company, it could be anybody you're engaging, a team. Then you put yourself in that opportunity to engage and to make both macro and micro adjustments to reach your, the learning outcomes that have been so clearly defined. And this transcends medium, it transcends proximity. So whether we're on site with a class or we're virtual with, the, with a class, the focus is still the same. Learn, learn, learn every step of the way. That means we're humble. That means we're in that growth mindset, that Carol DeWitt growth mindset, just as much as the students are. And then together, we're going to get to the outcomes that, once again, the return on investment is very clearly defined. We know why we're going in there. And we know the path that we're going to take to get there. That doesn't mean we're not going to have tangents or detours. That doesn't mean that we're not going to find discoveries inside of that that are going to just create those aha moments as us, from us, as facilitators to, to get the students there, it means that we will do all that. And that's how we're going to get to the outcomes. Hmm. Yeah, I love, I love the focus on getting to the outcomes with the students and, and being guided by them. I know um, my business coach is very strong on um, making sure that no one's left behind and also on, on reading the room and, and going back and revisiting aspects that perhaps um have gone over somebody's head or they haven't understood or they haven't really participated in that particular activity yet uh, one of the challenges that i see there is you know i talked about reading the room is when you go online how do you how do you get that sense of where people are that that you would be 
pick up from body language and facial expressions and and those kind of things in um, in a an environment where everybody's in the same room. It's different. As you mentioned, Jurgen, we Business Improv started delivering online programs, virtual programs, live classroom programs back in 2017. And for us, there was a number of things that we needed to do, like transform something that's high energy up on your feet, immersive learning to this environment. What we learned though along the way is that this you have to respect this medium. You really have to look at this medium in a different way. And I just tapped my computer just so everybody if you heard anything. You have to look at this in, in a different way than you look at even a phone call, let alone a, a classroom, a face-to-face on-site classroom with each other. And once you start looking this, looking at this as its own beast, then you start developing things differently that respect the nuances of this. So the way that I equate it in my virtual classes is you don't if anybody's a scuba diver out there if you've ever been a scuba diver you don't communicate the same way underwater that you do mm. on land because the majority of us don't have those fancy stuff that you see on the discovery channel during shark week that allows to talk to each other we have breathing apparatuses in our mouth regs and if you take that out underwater one, it's pointless because no one can hear you talk. And two, you drowned if you're 80 feet below water. So you keep that in and you talk with your hands. And that's the same thing that we start focusing on, that we need to communicate differently through different mediums to make sure that we're as effective as possible. Now, when you're thinking about reading body language, then it's different signs because on site, you can get a full picture, right? You can get almost the full body and you can really absorb from that. You can understand facial expressions differently when you when it's one person on site let alone one person through a virtual medium and then once you have that brady bunch grid 20 people up on screens the facial expressions if people aren't properly lit are lost number 1 and number 2 they're very hard because you're getting 20 people at once hitting you in this like deluge of feedback so it's very hard to pick that up So what I do is I cheat out, I look for little clues, little hints, uh, and then I, I, I sharpshoot essentially. I, I call things out very, very quickly. And fortunately with my, my style is very playful. It's very fun. And I hit those business outcomes right in the middle of the target and I need people to be on point. So I don't have a whole lot of problem calling it out. And normally because, you know, what we're doing has, levity is part of it the fun is inherent in improvisation that's not it so we don't even need to focus on that focus on the business stuff they're having a good time they don't mind me calling them out i've had zero i've received zero pushback from the call out i've received pushback in virtual classrooms that's no joke at the same time not for calling somebody out Mm. Mm. fascinating all right so um talk to us a little bit more you mentioned earlier about uh the yes and uh, style of conversation which opens up possibilities and one of the things you talk quite extensively about in the book is divergent versus convergent thinking so talk to us a little bit more about that what is divergent and convergent thinking what's good about both of them and and when when should you use them and how does improv help absolutely so for all of the the innovation folks out there, the marketing folks out there, there's probably a pretty strong familiarity with divergent and convergent thinking at, already. At least I would roll the dice on this. Is this is a model that was created, I believe, in the 1960s by a man named J.P. Guilford, at least from the research I was able to find on it. 
it relates heavily toward ideation. And it's largely on the divergent side that people know this. So divergent side, you got to think of the way that we structure it out there, which is pretty common, is a, a less than sign. And in divergent thinking, you have this problem, challenge, unexpected opportunity. And so in divergent thinking, as it relates to improv now, the improv phrase is postpone judgment or suspend judgment. Now, suspending judgment has a negative connotation because it's like mm -hmm. my kid got suspended from school, so he's not in there. And that seems to lead to like an inevitability of judgment. So what we're not, what we've rebranded this to say postpone judgment or defer judgment to another time. And that's convergent thinking. So in divergent thinking, you're deferring judgment. So this means you're not judging. This means that it's about the sheer volume of ideas or the opportunity to experiment and fail, fail early, fail often. You are making a mess in that divergent side. You are really just trying to discover as well. It's about the sheer volume of, of ideas that you could bring to the table versus convergent thinking. This is where you put the critical thinking hat back on and you judge in the convergent side. This is a good idea. This is a bad idea. This is the greater than sign as well, that you're whittling it down till finally you have that, that great idea. We liken this whole process to panning for gold. So if you get one chance to pan for gold, go to a river and pan for gold. Would you rather stick two fingers and a thumb in that river and pull out just a pinch? And be like, yeah. I don't really like my chances here. Or would you rather stick a pan in, a giant saucer, and pull out as much as humanly possible? That's divergent thinking. Ultimately, it's about increasing the probability for success on the convergent side. On the convergent side, you sift, you sort, you get the weeds out, the muck out, the fool's gold out of the way. And for our process, gold is people, it is process, it's culture, it's team, it's ideas. Once you have this, though, you still have work to do. You have to refine it. You have to process it. And so you're really looking to increase the probability of success in using divergent and convergent thinking. And here's a little trick. You can use yes and in both sides. So a lot of people think that yes and is only good for the divergent side. Yeah, yeah. Yes and, yes and, let's come up with ideas. You can actually undermine the great work you did on the divergent side on the convergent side. If you're, instead of being critical about the ideas, you're criticizing people or you're criticized, you're being too critical about the ideas. So you can yes and in critical thinking. Absolutely. Because yes hmm. is not, I agree with you. Yes is I hear you. And is the bridge to your thoughts, your perspective. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. And as I said earlier, I wish I had known this back in my corporate days because I know we had lots of exercises where we highly paid consultants would come in and would talk about suspending judgment. And there's no, you know, lots of ideas come out in this first phase, in this divergent thinking phase, and nobody's allowed to criticize judgment suspended until later. And that all sounded fine. There were lots of ideas came up. And then as soon as they said, okay, now it's time to sift through the ideas, pick the best ones. And, and then all, all the negative thinkers came in straight in and said, I don't like that idea because, um, but this one's really bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you just hit it. I mean, that's a trigger word, right? So one of the classic comparisons is yes and versus yes, but. And, and it feels inclusive. It feels like alignment. It feels like we're, we're talking with each other and working to each other, even validating what each other is saying. Whereas, but feels like it's exclusive. It feels confrontational. You start taking tangents, you, you get defensive. So as a trigger word on its own, but actually 
triggers negative emotions and and triggers positive emotions, which then relates to how we're communicating, how much we're communicating, the outcome of that communication. So it's that's a you brought up a great example of just you know yeah. that inherent lack of thought from some overpaid facilitators. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a moderately paid facilitator, <laughs> you know, the lesser yeah. side of that. Well, well, one of the one of the things that I'm becoming much more aware of these days, and I find myself reacting pretty well, almost programmed in in that light is if somebody says to me oh, you did a great job, but this could have been better. Well, what I hear is this was no good. Right. I, you, you, you know, unconsciously actually already you, you dismiss as a listener, you dismiss the bit about this was great. Yeah. Because yeah. straight away, straight away you're taken into, but this bit wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've all been in arguments before that it's it's going on, it's heated and it's settling down. Finally, it's settling down. We're talking to each other, and then all of a sudden, somebody's like, "Yeah, but then you did that." And you're like, "Bam!" It's just like <laughs> right off the roof again. So the military axiom that I use to sum this up is: "But eliminates everything said before it through restrictions, mm. denials, contradictions, steerings, and and builds on it, or it's additive, it's inclusive, it's agreement." And the reality is, you can negate one versus the other based on context situation relationship mm. what you can't negate is that it feels this way one feels like that contradiction negative like you just dismiss like you did a great job but this is how you could unbound like well, okay i didn't do a great job because that's how the brain reacts to it and you could have just replaced it taken that word but out and replaced it with and you did a great job and and the way that we like to frame it as well like there's an area there's an opportunity here for future development Hmm. Yes, I think that that's a really great example. And the whole idea of the uh, feedback sandwich, I think, has has that element in there that if it's delivered with with any but words in there, it's, it's not a sandwich anymore. Because <laughs> it's like, OK, here's the here's the slice of bread. And now here's the the medicine, if you like. Right, right. And while while I bring in that medicine, I'm taking away the slice of bread and throwing it in the trash. <laughs> Being blindfolded and expecting to get something sweet, and instead of getting yeah. sweet in my mouth, you get slapped in the face. I'm like what? <laughs> what? What happened to strawberries and whipped cream? It's right there. What? Why'd you hit me? Yeah. yeah. All right. Um. Yeah, the we talked a little bit about the virtual programs. I'm kind of interested to learn a little bit more about how how you build community around that. Um, you know, we talked about the facilitator reading the the trainees. The other thing that happens in a live room, I guess, is interaction between the trainees yes. and conversations that happened there. And you talked earlier about uh, the trainer, actually, that the, the class actually teaches the trainer how they want to learn. And and I'm sure there's lots of interaction between the trainees, the students in, in that as well. So how do you bring in that sense of community, that sense of um, fertilization, if you like, between the students in the room? when you're in an online space? That's a great question. 
And really, there's two ways to look at this. The easier way is if they know each other already. If there's mm. a familiarity with each other, they were on site together, and now they're, you know, everybody's forced to be in this sort of blue water space with each other. So getting that community back together is much easier than it is a group of strangers. So what Business Improv has done twofold, really, it started back in um, 2016 when we were piloting this with some of our blue chip clients. We asked for a group of people who have never met each other before, and they're going to be uh-huh. an online team for the very first time. So with our blue chip clients, we already had a great reputation. We could, uh, you know, baseball analogy, swing for the fences or, or reach for the stars. You know, we could fail with glory, in other words, hmm. because we had worked with our blue chip clients for like a half a decade. They knew that we would just exceed all expectations. They've seen us do it over and over again. So when we were piloting with them back in 2016, we said, this is free. We're going to do this. No cost whatsoever. We need, we've, we've done our experimentation inside. We believe we're correct. Now it's time to get some focus group type of outside eyes on this. And they'll let us know if we're right or wrong. You know, your class is going to teach how to teach them. So we're going to learn from them as well. And so we asked for highly dysfunctional virtual teams. We asked for teams that were already on site together and moving virtual. And then that last group, group of people have never met each other before, and they have to become a high-functioning virtual team. And we succeeded in all of those for the, the reasons that we mentioned before. We've been doing original work for 21 years and or 15 years by that time. And then we're out to learn. We're out to get better. So circling back around to now, what Business Improv has done is create open enrollment programs. So it's executives coming in from all over the world with that same focus of, well, how are, we, how are we creating community? How are we connecting with each other? How are we bonding with each other? And through our style of exercises and the way that we execute them, both with breakout rooms and with group conversations and with overarching projects, things of that nature, what we're finding over and over again is that there's a hunger for this. It goes beyond this, I want to connect with people and I want to build community. It's, I need to, I'm missing that interaction. I'm missing that day-to-day bumping into somebody that I know at the elevator or meeting somebody brand new at a pub and having a, just a random conversation over a beer and I'm never gonna talk to that person again or maybe we exchange information, I will talk to them. You know, we're missing that camaraderie. And so with our, the focus in business improv, it's outward, it's listening, it's, it's, it's engaging, it's valuing what somebody else is, has to say because it's a basic human desire to be understood or at least believe that we're being understood. It's the key to all great relationships. And that's another Martin Amonism. It's a basic human desire to be understood. And so when you start focusing on that and truly trying to understand each other, then it, this, again, transcends proximity and transcends medium. People will bond with each other. People will galvanize with each other. People will create friendships with each other. And are we face-to-face and can shake hands or give a hug? Not yet. Not yet. And so we are adapting as a, a species to this environment, the same way we've adapted to other strong challenges we faced. And we will get to that time that we're back together again. And we're, for now, though, we have to continue to focus on engaging each other and connect with each other in a very honest way, in a very vulnerable way. And that's how we create community. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, the The idea that... Well, one of the things I think it's highlighted for me, the 
almost forced transition to online for most people around the world in business or in you know running events because of the pandemic and the lockdowns it's opened up the opportunity that hey we're not geographically bound anymore we don't need to run an event in a location and rely on either just a marketplace that's in close proximity that to that location or um, that people will pay money to travel into that location that 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 you know the event has that pulling power we can basically reach anybody anywhere in the world that has a connection to the internet so i think there's another opportunity that's been opened up there with what people have now seen and with that adaption so how do you see that and how do you um, bring in what you've learned in in transitioning some of your programs online into that space Jurgen, I, I love your that framing of opportunity because I that is an opportunity. You know, we've talked about the global community for 20 years. You know, mm. that's been a great buzzword. That, to your point, we have the opportunity to actually create. That we are not bound by anything other than internet connection right now. And morale. You know, <laughs> let's keep in mind that we do have uh, other things going on that might weigh upon yeah. us a bit more heavily than other days. That said, uh, this opportunity is one that we've seen work and seized upon as well. So it's in that open enrollment program. We piloted this over the summer. So this is the way business improv works. We, uh, we start grabbing people and saying, you want? So we had people in this uh, pilot program over the summer that were in Europe, and in um, Russia, as well as in Mexico, and then scattered through America. And so we had that, we didn't break the, the Southern Hemisphere yet, yet. Um, however, we had that opportunity and we capitalized on that opportunity. And it was exactly what we were just talking about before. It's people wanting to connect with people and not knowing exactly how to connect with them and needing both a medium and a methodology to help them connect with each other. And so those rules of engagement, the same types of rules that we were talking about for breaking silos, really, or creating any culture, once those are in place, now people know how to behave toward each other, or at least practice behaving toward each other. And there's how you create that common ground of taking people who, let's take, you know, improv or business improv, some of that, a lot of people first you will dismiss, think it's frivolous, think it's the only thing that you do when the excrement hits the oscillator and there's no training in it whatsoever. And for others, it's uncomfortable. They, they don't like the ambiguity. They don't like the unknown, even though we're all forced into ambiguity and unknown right now. This, you know, this is some of the strength of that skill set. It's not inherent for a lot of people as well. And it's also intimidating for a lot of people to say that I got to continue just to talk to each other without any base of knowing how we're going to talk to each other. In other words, the unknown, the unexpected. So if people who are pushing themselves a bit outside their comfort zone create a lot of structure for them to succeed and a common language for them to use with each other, you're creating culture. You know, it's language, languages, rituals, beliefs, practices, accountability practices. That's, you know, culture. And that's where you find that, that great common area that regardless of what country, culture, language we're using, if everybody just bends a little bit from their own safety zone, their own culture, their own language, and comes to a middle area, there that's when we come together and that's where we really create that non-geographic chemistry and team that 
we should continue to look at as an opportunity right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's um, great advice and great. So providing great structure there in in that sort of environment and then leading on because one of the things you said is you know the opportunity there is in building teams and and to me that means having access to talent and skills that in just a local situation you might be much more restricted in no that's true now Hmm. now for better or worse your competitors are everywhere yeah. <laughs> it's not a glo- only a global community it's a global competition which <laughs> well for the last yeah. uh, 20 years you know that's that's been a big thing the global marketplace global community global competition now though because of of i would say the impetus really is the is the fact that we're all forced to work remotely which has also been on the books for 10 15 years that everything's going to mm-hmm. go remote one day it's going to go now we're forced in that entrepreneurship mindset of like, we got to make this work. You got to figure out how to make work. I mean, if it's at all humanly possible to figure out how to make it work and that's not everybody across the board, those who can at least grapple with it and find those, those keys to the kingdom have the opportunity to unlocking a lot of great things. This also means that I'll I'll stick with the kingdom, I suppose, metaphor. uh, There's going to be barbarians at the gate. There's going to (laughs) be, There's gators in the moat, you know, there's that there's danger. And so that global competition is one thing. The fact, though, that you can resource talent from all over the world at different time zones and keep a 24 hour clock going with people who are inherently Mm. at different times and have different skill sets that can support a greater good also exists inside of that. And it's I think those who have that innovative entrepreneurial mindset that are looking at this from unique angles, they're going to be the ones that actually end up thriving at a different level than people who just yeah. go by the same old, same old that, you know, what, what, what worked before? When, when can we get back? Yeah. When can we get, when can yeah. we get back to normal? <laughs> yeah, when? Yeah. I don't know. You tell me, was it the same thing in like April, May here in America, March, April, May, March, April specifically, like the general consensus was just wait till June. Wait till yeah. it's all gonna be over in June. Why? I don't know. It was just an arbitrary. Like, just wait till June. Like, <laughs> well, there's no cure. There's no vaccine. Mm. There's there's no way that this can go back to anything close to normal without a cure, vaccine, and clinical trials. You know, mm. long term repercussions for this. So by the time we get to that point that we have that cure, have that vaccine, that herd immunity, whatever it is that's going to bring us back to talking with each other face to face without a mask, there's going to be so many people who do not want to go to a brick and mortar institution anymore. The the workforce is going to change because of this. And there's not going to be a way for a lot of employers to keep great talent if they demand them to come back to a brick and mortar institution, because there's going to be a lot of people who say, I've proved I could do it here and I don't want to go back. That's a 45 minute commute. Hmm. I don't need to make. That's right. Yeah. Yes. It opens up a whole lot of opportunities. One of the things you said there is, you know, working for a global corporation through my corporate career and leading teams across various parts of the world and different time zones. I always had this vision and this goes back to the early 1990s. I had this vision of, um, let's say Australia, um, the team in Australia would work on something 
and then at the end of their workday would hand it off to the team in India, let's say, Mm -hmm. uh, because they're about five hours behind. So they would work on it for their eight hours and then they would hand it off to the team in, in Europe who would then work on this thing for another eight hours and then they would hand it off to the team in, in the US and it could be, you know, there could be two teams there because it spans quite a wide time zone, similarly in Australia, of course, and, and throughout Asia. I mean, there's wide time zones. But I had this vision of, you know, if you structured that right and you had the right sort of product that, that you could work on um, across those time zones, it wasn't a physical thing that had to be then shipped uh, somewhere, that you could have somebody working 24 hours, you could probably accelerate the development of new products by threefold, maybe even five or sixfold. And and I think now we're starting to see people actually adopting that kind of mindset. I think software companies have been doing it for a little while now, but um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I, I love this idea. For some reason, when you were breaking this down for me, I was picturing a... Um, a sprint relay, like a four by 100 meter relay, like in the Olympics that you really, it looks great when it's done seamlessly and you make these handoffs, which means that having had some friends actually compete, at least on the collegiate level, high level (laughs) level in sprints, you work on the handoffs (laughs) more than anything, right? Because without that seamless handoff that you're coming in full sprint and you're handing it to somebody else who's taken off full sprint, any little hiccup there, you could lose enough time that somebody mm. else can beat you. And, you know, we're talking about fractions of seconds in that. And so really working on that, now we'll go back to communication collaboration base. Mm. As far as a handoff from one team to the next team to the next team, the transitions, that could help that process. And that, you know, I think to your point, now is a great time if, you know, people have that structure in place to work on that 24-hour work clock of like how to actually make that work 24 hours and accelerate the growth of a process or product. Hmm. So improv is a a great tool for that uh, handoff and for those communications across cross borders, time zones, cultures, uh, and the yes and tool is a really big one. Yeah, you you actually hit it right on the head. We've taught this six continents, dozens of countries, different languages, even through interpreters. And regardless of the familiarity with improvisation or lack thereof, as well as any language, like yes and yes, but, for example, that's not universally known. And even when we ask those questions, though, everyone understands it. Everyone understands exactly the difference between them, even if they don't use yes and or yes, but Mm. inside their language. It's a great technique for that, which you just mentioned, because it focuses on people. It focuses on human connection that's the, we're not focusing on technology. We're focusing on how do you communicate, collaborate with each other, connect with each other, listen to each other, engage with each other. How do you slow the brain down to be focused and present in the moment at a high level? How do you access your own brain to perform at the top of your intelligence, to be adaptable, to be agile, to be flexible? And how do you bring other people with you in that process and or level status so that you're part of the team, even though if you're the leader, somebody else is leading and, and you can let somebody else lead. So it's a, a fabulous tool, set of tools and techniques for this type of global collaboration and connection. Hmm. Love it. All right. Well, I'm going to move off improv 
now and um, go back to my script here. <laughs> uh, I don't actually have a script, but I have a, have a script for this bit. Uh, so it's the buzz, it's our innovation round, and it's designed to help our audience who are primarily leaders and innovators in their field with some tips from your experience. I'm going to ask a series of five questions. Hopefully you'll give us some really insightful answers that will inspire our listener to go and do something awesome as a result today. I'll do my best. What's, oh, yeah, great. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? I cling to uh, yes and and practice divergent and convergent thinking. Yeah, that's <laughs> great. Yeah, and we've talked about that at length. So. Exactly. We already we already hit that one. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's it. It really is. It's so simple. And like I said before, if you think about this as like panning for gold, how do you want to? What do you want to do? Do you want to pinch it? You know, do you want to like go to your town and be like, give me one great idea, just one and make it the greatest idea because that's all we're going to use or say to everyone, just give me all the ideas. Give me everything you're thinking about right now. We're going to do this for 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just talk to each other and come up with a lot of ideas. And then we'll take a break, head over to that convergent side and we're going to sift. and We're going to find the best ideas from everybody else's ideas the worst idea with great support will go much further than the best idea with no support so we're focusing on supporting communication and removing barriers to communication collaboration so that ultimately we're not executing the the worst idea because that's the only one that got support we're trying to find the best idea inside of it and then supporting that hmm. yeah i love it and you talk, you outline in the book um, some really good techniques for going through that process. So I certainly encourage people to check that out in, in more detail. Now, what's the best thing you've done to develop new new ideas? I'll go back 10 years ago when we started thinking about going virtual. That was a, a 10 year, well, it was a six year journey to start execution. And that's uh, putting that time in. We are in a constant state of innovation here in business improv we are essentially a think tank we have weekly meetings that are by design just to talk about and i'll go first person what's happening in america what internally we've called the zombie apocalypse <laughs> okay what happens after the election you know so we're thinking about the next steps we're thinking about the next three months next six months we're uh, we're looking at different approaches we're experimenting so putting that time in on a regular basis keeps that muscle sharp. And for us, the muscle is the brain. However, if you don't use it in this capacity, then it atrophies. So you have to keep your improvisational mindset working hard. Otherwise, it's going to dull. And when you do need it, you're going to have to work with a dull brain as opposed to one that's <laughs> operating on all cylinders with others who are operating on all cylinders. And for the record, business improv has always been virtual. New York, Chicago, L.A., no one works out of my house other than my two kids who will be the barbarians who storm the gates at any given time. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you know, we've always been communicating, collaborating this way. So blocking that time out and saying, okay, what's down the road? What's, what could happen next? Gives us that opportunity to be prepared for truly having to improvise. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. So you're experienced in running virtual teams yourself. Yeah, yes. And with that comes every challenge that you can imagine including difficult conversations and conflict hmm. yes well i've i've lived through that for many many years um and yeah. cross cultures so different languages different cultures different countries different time zones and all the other things and the silos 
<laughs> yeah. All right. Now, what do you have a favorite resource you use most often? My a favorite resource that I use people. Hmm. <laughs> really, that that's who I go to. I find um, internally, just talk to me. You know, as the leader, founder, and CEO of my company, uh, I I think it's easy to have those biases that we mentioned before come into play, and I need somebody to tell me, hey. Emperor, you got no clothes on. And by the way, you're not an emperor either. <laughs> Neither. <laughs> All right, we get dressed and get back to work. I need people to call out the fact that I'm wrong. So creating that psychologically safe space does not have anything to do with proximity or medium. Let me start there. Psychological safety does has nothing to do with proximity or medium. You have to, in that psychologically safe space, be ready for those difficult conversations coming to you as well. And then reaching out to them in a very open, honest way. I have an idea. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Just talk to me about this, or I have no idea how to deal with this. And why don't you just talk to me about this is important. And if nobody knows internally, expanding your network. I've had great, great success reaching out to strangers saying, I, I'm in a strange situation here, especially in the last six months. I'm in a very difficult situation here. You look to have a lot of expertise in this. Do you mind a 30-minute conversation? and I'll ask you questions honestly, and you can tell me either answers or you don't want to answer them. And I'll respect both. And people are like, yeah, you know, people like to help each other out. So hmm. great. Love it. So what's the best way to keep a, a client on track? Communication. <laughs> Early, often, uh, sidebar conversations, quick meetings, touch bases texts uh yeah communication that's the best way to keep a client internal or external stakeholder on track mm, yeah and the yes and tool is is a really big one there with the communication oh absolutely absolutely you can not only use yes and in that collaborative uh, fashion that we've mentioned before and for conflict you can actually use yes and to get to a no and that's got to be part of that that collaborative mm. process as well that if an idea is not going to work, uh, having that conversation with a client very openly and honestly about the, for example, on our side as, as um, consultants, certain things that clients want us to do are challenging. And though our job is to do them potentially, our job is also to make sure the clients know the plus minus of it. You know, what are the logistics around it? What would keep this from being successful. And ultimately we feel like it's the client's, uh, it is the client's responsibility to say yes or no, yay or nay. We're gonna do this based on all the information you provided or no, we're not gonna do it. And if after explaining something, for example, and using a lot of yes and to explain something that's gonna be challenging, difficult, the, the probability of success is not high, uh, the outcomes around this are not what we designed originally, you know, really fleshing out, they're like, I need you to execute this idea, which is what clients have told us before. We will very clearly tell them that you are not putting us in the position to succeed. We will do this. We'll absolutely do this. You're going to watch us do this to the very best of our ability. Our mission is to knock your socks off. You know, give us the hardest jobs you can, can give us. Our mission is to succeed. And based on the way that this is set up, you're not putting us in that position to succeed. And when you sign off on that, and I do mean sign off, write it out, sign it off. If you say, go march into that burning house, and I want you to go collect my dirty socks in that burning house, we'll go do it. We will go into that, that burning house and risk life and limb to, to get your dirty socks. 
because that's what you are paying us to do. Ultimately, though, our job is to make sure that you are well informed about uh, the risks associated with those decisions. So, yeah. <laughs> Interesting analogy. <laughs> so, yeah, the communication and the the. I guess one of the things you touched on there, and I, I'll just emphasize that point, the yes and is not an agreement frame purely. It's not an I'm going to say yes to everything yeah, no. um, philosophy, is it? No, yes. The way that we use it, if you talk to improvisers on stage, which keep in mind, I've been performing improv for a high level for a quarter century. Uh, yes and is going to mean something different. For us in business improv, yes is not I agree with you. That's not yes. Yes is not, I'm going to execute an idea that's going to get me fired. That's not yes. Yes is, I'm open to hearing what you have to say. I'm accepting, yes, I'm accepting you are talking to me and I'm trying to understand what you're saying to me on your terms. I'm not trying to imply subtext. I'm not trying to put stereotypes around you or my biases in place. I'm really doing the best I can to understand you. Yes is, I accept that this crazy thing is happening all around us right now. I may not like it, I accept that this is the reality and is the bridge to what you do with it and is the bridge to your background, your mind, your education, your drive, your passion, your authentic voice. So in business improv, more than anything, yes is thoughtfulness. Yes is you have my undivided attention right now. I am present. I am listening. I'm here with you. And is the bridge to how you're present, how you are understanding, how you are being thoughtful. Hmm. Thanks for that. I, I thought that was worth clarifying at this point. All right. Now, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves. Uh, right now, uh, virtually, smile. <laughs> I think that can go a long way. That uh, you're the, the, the light of hope and your positivity and possibility. I think there's a lot of, I've sat in on a lot of collaborative sessions right now and it's it's almost like sitting in at a, on a eulogy. It's like <laughs> really, really heavy stuff. And granted, the topics can be heavy. That does not mean that we, you know, leaders have to be unflappable and talk about how we're going to get through this together. You have to, to be that person that's going to say, we with resolve, we're going to do this. The metal of our character has to be toward stability and success. That doesn't mean be dishonest or disingenuous and not genuine. It also doesn't mean to ignore the reality. You know, this is hard and there are challenges that will keep us from succeeding potentially. At the same time, if we don't try, then what are we doing? You know, what's the alternative to trying? And so with that smile, I would say try. Like, you're trying as well. Hmm. There's a lot of people who are like, ah, there's nothing I could do. There's no way to, to be, hmm. you know, build chemistry inside my team when we're virtual. Well, yeah, there is. There it absolutely is. And try. Trying could be part of that success. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you if you feel that way, please come and talk to both of us because we've got between us, we've got lots of experience with virtual teams and I can assure you, and I know Bob can assure you that there are a lot of things you can do to build a fantastic culture and fantastic connections across virtual teams. Absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. And 
And if you can't hear it in Bob's voice, he's, uh, I can see him on camera here. He's got a big beaming smile and uh, is very positive, very happy. You know, it's, it's a choice. <laughs> what we say is energy and attitude are choices. Energy mm. and attitude are choices. They might not be something you can always change, and it might be hard to make that choice. Yet at the same time, especially with the weight that we have here in America today, as we're grappling for leadership of this country, I mean, it's truly a, right now at 4.41 p.m. on uh, November 3rd, November 4th, rather, after the election, we are we don't know who our leader is going to be, and we don't know which way this country is going to go. And we've had months of civil unrest, in, in my mind, warranted civil unrest at that and violence and protests and you know everybody's feeling the this this covid fatigue or pandemic fatigue whatever you want to call it and it's a it is it's a roller coaster that at any given time is going to put you in a tunnel in the dark darkest of dark and spin you around you won't even know which way up is at the same time you can try to be positive we can try to bring energy we can try to understand that eyes are looking at us and we need to be that bastion of, of hope and light especially for me in my house i got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old i don't want to leave my office after a hard day or walk right outside my door here and have them be like daddy i'm like oh god <laughs> <laughs> ah, what happened to daddy you know so uh, these are choices and even with all the weight that's happening right now you know you have enough resolve and you have enough focus and also, I want to be here with you and I want to, you know, show you business improv and, and my brand. It's all part of it. So making that choice to at least try is better than not making the choice and not trying. Hmm. And, and as you say, we all have a choice to be happy or sad to how we react to the environment. Maybe we can't change um, some of the things that are in the external environment. I mean, certainly I don't know how I can solve the pandemic. Uh, certainly, uh, even if, if I had any any expertise in immune, immunology or something like that, I would find it very difficult to do it by myself. So reacting to that environment and making a contribution that perhaps I can make, that's that's a choice we can all make, right? Absolutely. and and. I want to be as clear as possible. This does not mean we will always succeed. Yeah. This does not mean we will always be positive. This does not mean we'll always be able to smile even. Something as simple as that. At the same time, I, I do look at it as a, a very binary thing. Either we try or we don't try. And if we don't try, you know, what is the alternative? Hmm. For me, you know, as an entrepreneur, a small business owner hit by this like everybody else, um, just we're, the alternative to not trying is to curl up and, and that's it, you know, so I, it's, it's time to, you know, continue to try. And, and I, I think that even though not every day is a good day and not every day I can even like smile when I'm at work, that does not mean I can't try. Hmm. All right. Well, this is been absolutely fabulous, Bob. Now, where can people find out more about you, maybe even reach out to say thank you for what you've shared today? Uh, Jurgen, well, thank you. First of all, thank you uh, for making this bridge as well. 
Um, <clears throat> my book is Getting to Yes and The Art of Business Improv, and that's out in the market. Uh, you mentioned that you bought the audio, so if you buy the audio, you'll hear this voice that you can fast forward <laughs> through. I'll talk very quickly. Um, you can also find us on Business Improv. Uh, come and join us in the open enrollment program. We have a, a newsletter that goes out as well. We're, we're dishing out free content, and we're going to send Jurgen the link to that, so you can put it up in the bottom and, and find that link. And if you join the community with the, the the newsletter that comes out, it's not a heavy lift. I don't write heavy. Well, the the book is Stanford University Press, so that's heavy enough. That's baked in research. That's 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 heavy enough. Lift. The newsletter is is short bites. It's very small, snackable content. And we're giving away cliff notes to essentially the book now in the virtual packaging. It's like, try, just try this out. This is how you lead teams. This is how you manage conflict virtually. This is how you communicate, collaborate, brainstorm, et cetera, all virtually. And in the open enrollment program, we're putting people through the paces. And of course, you can find me on LinkedIn too. So find me out there. Mm. Wonderful. We'll have all those links in the show notes as as Bob mentioned. Now, do you have any parting advice for our listener today, or maybe you've already given that? If, if anything, um, uh, I'm a big fan of gratitude as well. <laughs> I, I have been always, and yet in the last eight months, I find myself gravitating further and further toward that. So I guess I could uh, give some advice. Um, you know, pay somebody a, a heartfelt compliment and smile. Hmm. Yeah, great. Love it. And I think, you know, gratitude is something we often, don't take time to express gratitude, even for ourselves, even for what we're grateful for or celebrate something that maybe we've done well. Uh, we kind of skip over that, move on and say, okay, what's the next thing or get to the criticisms pretty quickly. So take time to appreciate and show gratitude to somebody else and perhaps even yourself. Absolutely. So right, now for Thank you, Jurgen. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Finally, who's somebody else I need to get on this show and have a conversation with and why? Oh, you know, uh, there's a, a guy named Bruce Craven, uh, who's a friend. I should more than a guy, he's a friend. Yeah, yeah. He's a friend. Um, he is, uh, like me, an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School here in New York, except he lives in California in the desert. And he wrote this fabulous book. Um, uh, live or die leadership lessons from game of thrones i believe is what it's called and what he did was unpack the very popular show game of thrones and look at leadership models throughout the whole process and he, the book on its own is fabulous he is an incredible storyteller and has lived a very rich life and he's a great guy on top of that so i'm gonna point to bruce craven all right, well, we'll get an introduction from you to Bruce. And, and of course, that means not only do I have to read his book, I have to get into Game of Thrones now. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> well, yeah, I would say uh, having not seen Game of Thrones until I started going through the book, the, the book is just all a giant spoiler alert. <laughs> so <laughs> if you haven't watched the shows, go to that first and yeah. then do his book. Otherwise, um, if you've seen the shows, which I think, you and I might be only a few people in a boat right now and everybody else is safe on the Game of Thrones land. Um, yeah. yeah, go to that, go to the book. Cause if you, if you like the, the show, you're going to love the book. Great. We'll love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, sharing your time and your insights and your improv wisdom with us so generously, Bob, I've really enjoyed this, had a lot of fun and uh, please do stay in touch and, um, 
yeah, all the best for the future. Uh, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great chatting with you. And I look forward to our continued collaboration. I hope you enjoyed that engaging and informative conversation with Bob and took something away from his episode. This was a truly improv conversation and illustrated for me the idea of improv being about communication and collaboration. I'd love to know what you took away from Bob's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post, which you can find at inoverbiz.co forward slash Bob Coolhan. That is B-O-B-K-U-L-H-A-N. All lowercase, all one word, inoverbiz.co forward slash Bob Coolhan. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Bob, as well as links to the Business Improv website, his book Getting to Yes And, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in today's conversation. Also, you'll find there the link to his generous offer of an exclusive discount to his Improvisational Communication course, a first-of-its-kind online course designed using research backed by science and more than 20 years of experience. This course is regularly priced at $249 and by using the code YESAND, you will be able to purchase it for just $99. If you like this episode, please share it with two other people that it might help. Tag me in on that share and I'll reach out to you with a special surprise. Bob suggested that we have a conversation with Bruce Craven, author of Win or Die, Leadership Secrets from Game of Thrones, on a future Innova Buzz podcast episode. So Bruce, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast, courtesy of Bob Coolhan. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast. We've got Yet more fantastic guests lined up, including marketing consultant Nick Smith and poly innovator Dustin Miller. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like. Even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.